if you will, open your Bibles up, or hopefully they're already open, to uh, where our scripture reading came from, which is Micah chapter 6, as we continue uh, our lessons uh, from the book of Micah. And uh, as we near the end of this book, um, tonight, as we begin our lesson, we see a, a, a judgment or a court scene, you may see. Uh, or something that appears to be or would look like a court scene in our day and time. And so that's the setting that we'll use for our lesson tonight from the book of Micah chapter 6. We'll use a court setting, something that hopefully uh, we're familiar with, maybe not too familiar with, (laughs) but something that we're somewhat similar or or somewhat familiar with. I do want to say one thing about this morning before we get going uh, too far into tonight's lesson. I'm always very appreciative. I know Adam feels the same way of uh, compliments that you get as people leave and as people make comments when, when you leave uh, after you've preached. And that's always so encouraging to me. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what the most encouraging comment that I received this morning was. And it, it comes from our part of our text from this morning in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, in the middle of our lesson, we talked about the, the apostles arguing about who was the greatest and Jesus' response to them was, unless you become like one of these little ones, and he had called a child up, he said, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And as we had just walked out of the uh, doors this morning, we were standing there, and, and Turner looked up at me, and he had written on a piece of paper his temptation. And he proceeded to, to tear it up and throw it away. Uh, I, I don't know, that, just, that encouraged me more than anything else this morning. Uh, it showed me you never know who's actually listening, because <laughs> sometimes you wonder, right? You, you wonder who's actually listening when you're up here talking. Uh, but that was towards the end of the lesson, and he was still paying attention. So uh, adults, unless we become one of these little ones, I think we know now exactly, or I learned this morning, exactly what Jesus meant when he made that statement. Sometimes children can teach us so much. Uh, and I was taught uh, more by him in, in just a second than, than I probably taught him all day this morning. So... I wanted to share that with you. That just that really encouraged me more than anything else uh, this morning. But now let's move to Micah chapter 6. As we begin this courtroom setting, we're going to first lay out who will be in this court setting. Who are our main characters in this court setting? The defendant in our case tonight will be Israel. The nation of Israel will be our defendant tonight. The prosecutor, or the prosecution side of things, will be God. And also the judge will be God. Now, uh, some of our lawyer judge people in here, I immediately look at at Neil. Um, If the prosecutor and the judge are are the same people, sometimes that would make you feel good if you're a prosecutor. right? Neil's giving me the thumbs up. Uh, He says that would make life easy sometimes. But once we look at this situation, I, I think it's only fair... Uh, that we say God is allowed to be both of these because He's probably the only one that would be capable of doing both of those positions. But as we begin our our court setting, we have the defendant of Israel, we have the prosecutor of God, and we have the judge who is also God. The court setting is what I want us to look at before we get into the prosecutor's opening statement because the setting of this trial, the first couple of verses of Micah Micah chapter 6 tell us something that I want us to think about for just a minute. Those first two verses. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, 
and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against His people, and He will contend with Israel. Let's think about this court setting for just a minute. I think it's interesting, or at least to me, that God uses nature as the witness that He will present against Israel. You see, so many times in our lives we think, or maybe we're, we're foolish enough to think from time to time that we can do something and we can hide from God. We can do something, and, and young people, we can hide from our parents. Or we can do something that nobody's going to know about. And so when God's setting up this, this prosecution or this initial statement, He uses nature as His witness against Israel. Let me ask you a question. Are there places you can go in this world where you can hide from people? Yeah, we agree there are places you can go and you can hide from people. But you can never go anywhere in this world and hide from God's creation. God created the universe. God created our earth and everything that makes up our earth. And so there's nowhere on this earth that we can go and hide from God's creation. Let me ask you another question. This is going to kind of be a silly example, but I want you to think about it for just a moment. Sometimes when you hide from people, and you think you get away with something, and you look around and there are trees all around you, we know God can see what we're doing. But also think for just a moment, if God wanted to, He could ask that tree what you had been doing. David Albright, he could ask that rock what you had been doing, right? (laughs) Now we know what that rock was saying to you. God's creation we can't hide from. If God wanted to, He could ask the hills what we had done. He could ask the trees that we sometimes think we can hide in. When we're out in the woods by ourselves hunting, we're still in God's creation. I know that may be a, a silly example, but I think it says so much that here in the, in the book of Micah, in the beginning of this court setting, we see God's creation as the witness or the setting that God will use as the witness against Israel. God makes His opening statement in verses 3 through 5. He says, O oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And God's about to tell Israel everything that He's done for them. He says, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised. And when Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened... You see, if we think back to that story, Balaam blessed Israel when Balak wanted to curse Israel. And God would not answer that request. And instead of a curse, He gave Israel blessing. And what happened, and basically He says, from the beginning of the time that you left Egypt until the time that you entered the promised land of Canaan, I want you to think about everything that I did for you as you wandered through the wilderness, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And so in God's opening statement, He takes time to remind Israel of everything that He had done for them everything that He had given them, how those that they encountered wanted to curse them, and instead God blessed them, how they had wondered and they were never hungry, how every time that they complained about being thirsty, God provided them with water, how every morning they woke up to plentiful food, how their feet endured this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so God's saying, I want you to think about everything that I've done for you. 
I want us tonight to think about everything that God has done for us. Everything that God has done for you in your life. Today we, we enjoyed Parker's birthday party. And every time that, that I look at, at my wife or Parker or Ella Ruth, I can't help but think how God has blessed me beyond what I deserve. As we hear these young children sing during pupac class, do God's blessings not ring out to you? Teachers who, who teach those young children in Bible class, what blessings that is to, to hear them answer questions, to hear them say things to you. Look around at your family. Look around at Ninth Avenue, all the wonderful things that we have. Look around at Haleville and all the wonderful things that we have. And God has blessed us beyond what any of us deserve. And so God's reminding, God's reminding Israel. He's saying, I want you to think about everything that I've given you. I want you to think about and count your blessings. We sing that song sometimes. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. God's reminding Israel, I want you to think about everything that I've done for you. Every blessing that I've given you. Here's Israel's response in verses 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You see, in Israel's response in verses 6 and 7, Israel focuses all about the worship of God. And they start talking about, God, what's it going to take to please you in worship? How can we please you in worship? You have all these requirements, and how can we actually meet those requirements? But you see, there's something that Israel forgets about in their response. We do the exact same thing. Sometimes somebody asks us, or somebody makes a question about, I know that person, you call them a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm in church every Sunday. I hadn't missed a Sunday morning in over five years. I hadn't even missed a Sunday night, a Wednesday night. Every time those doors are open, I'm there. I have got my seat with my name on it in that church building. But then sometimes we forget about what happens when we walk out of the doors. You see, Israel got so caught up on the worship of God, they forgot that there's more to being a child of God than just worship. Sometimes we do that as well. Oh, well, I can do whatever I want to on, on Saturday night as long as I'm there on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter what I do on Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday night, I'm going to be in Bible class. Thursday, I'm going to lie to my boss. But Wednesday night, I was in Bible class, so that makes everything okay. You see, worshiping God is important. But what we do when we walk out of the doors is just as important. Israel only focuses on the worship of God when they give their response. And God says, yeah. He says, but let me, let me remind you of something. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, there's three things that God reminds them that's also required of them. To do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, to do justice, to be fair. To be fair to those people that you come in contact with. To be fair to those people that you deal with. If you're in a judgment seat, to be fair to those that you judge. To love kindness. The word kindness here 
actually means the steadfast love of God, the continual love of God, the continual love of God. I want you to love the fact that God continually loves you. Always remember what God does for you. Always remember what God does for you in your day-to-day life. I want you to love that fact that God is such a loving God that He continues to love you. And then to walk humbly with your God. To walk day-to-day humbly with your God. You see, after that, God gives them a verdict. Israel has given their response. And then they're reminded of those three things that we just mentioned. And Israel has to bow their head for just a minute. Because they know exactly what's coming next. In a courtroom setting, this may be the time and the place that... It may be in a, it just, just happens in movies, I don't know. But this may be the time and the place when the prosecution has presented their case and the defendant has come up and he's answered everything. But then the prosecution presents video evidence of the crime that they're trying to prosecute. They pull out the the murder weapon and lay it on the table. And you have the receipt in your pocket where you purchased the murder weapon. You see, you've defended everything else or you've had a rebuttal for everything else, but now here's the smoking gun. Here's the part that you can't defend. And then in verses 9 through 16, God continues with the guilty verdict for the nation of Israel. Picking up in in verse 11, He says, "Shall Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. God reminds Israel of everything that they've done. He reminds them of all their shortcomings. He reminds them of all their faults. Of their unjust judgments. Of their cheating the scales to to get things in their way. We've looked over the past several weeks of those uh, religious leaders, or those prophets who, who begin to prophesy for money. Those prophets that told you what you wanted to hear if you paid them enough to get the message that you wanted to hear. And God's saying, you know what? Those are the things that I'm talking about. The things that not only happen in the church building or or in the temple, but also outside. Your dealings with people in day-to-day life. That's what you're being judged for today. Those are the mistakes that you're making today. What we do when we walk out of the building. Being here every time the doors open is a great and wonderful thing and something that we should strive for. But what about Monday? What about Tuesday? What about Friday afternoon when you've had all that you can take? You're tired. You're angry. You're ready to go home. You're looking. You're counting down the minutes to the weekend. And your boss walks in and he lays that stack of papers on the desk. And you have two options. You can do your best or you can rush through it and get to the weekend. How honest are you in your dealings at that moment when you're tired, when you can't go any further? Are you just as honest as you are on Sunday morning when you're worshiping God? Does your honesty change from day to day? Does your fairness change from day to day? What about when you have the conversations in the foyer after Sunday morning worship? Is the person that you shake hands with 
the topic of your conversation Monday morning at the water cooler. The brother or sister that, that you speak to and you're friendly with while you're in the church building, how do you act to that person when somebody else talks about them in the workplace, in the grocery store? Are you fair when you leave? Are you just as fair when you leave as you are when you're standing face to face with that person? You see, Israel had fallen into that, into that trap. Israel was not doing what they were supposed to be doing, and God has called them out. He's giving them that guilty sentence. But we may ask ourselves, so what? Maybe we're not fair all the time. Maybe we do make mistakes. What, what, what's, the, what's the problem with that? What's the punishment that's going to happen? Picking up in verse 13, Therefore I strike, strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You will sow but not reap. You shall tread olives but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes but not drink wine. For you have kept the statues of Omri, and you have the works of the house of Ahab. You have walked in their counsels, that I make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. God tells the people of Israel, He says, because of these things, because you have not obeyed me, because you have not treated people fairly, you're going to try to store up. But somebody's going to overtake it and take what you've stored up. You're going to eat, but you're never going to get hungry. You're never going to be able to defeat your enemies because I'm no longer with you. I'm no longer fighting for you. All of those things, when we go back to the beginning of chapter 6, all of those things that God had reminded Israel that He had done for them, that He had done with them, that He had allowed them to do, He had fought beside them in those battles. We read countless time, story after story, where Israel would ask, should we go up against this nation? And God says, yes, they're in your hands. I give them into your hands. Go to battle. And the Israelites would always win. But now God's saying, you know what? Those times are gone because you've not held your end of the bargain. You've treated people unfair. You've treated me unfair. You've kept those idols. You've worshipped other gods. You've put other gods before me. You've broken your side of the truce and I'm no longer fighting beside you. You've pushed me away. God never left Israel. Israel pushed God away. You see, we talked this morning about temptation. When we think about temptation, we talked about the fact that anytime we're faced with temptation, God provides us a way out. Is your life desolate because you've pushed God away? God gives us so many blessings. God gives us so much. When He gives us those blessings, do we put God on the back burner? Or do we continue to put God first in our life? If you were on trial tonight, and God was the prosecution, and you were judged by the things that you had done, not only during worship, but at any time that you walk out of the door, if you were judged by the way that you're treating people in your life, what would the verdict be that was put on the screen? 
What if Jesus were here tonight and He had your name up on the screen and one by one He put our name up on the screen? And either guilty or not guilty, flash below it. Would you be squirming in your seats until your name popped up? Would you break out in a sweat when your name popped up on the screen? What would your reaction be when you saw your name and you knew your judgment was coming next? You see, there's coming a day when that's going to happen. The setting won't look like this. But there's coming a day when we'll stand before our God and our name will be called and we'll be judged according to what we've done and how we've lived our life. Will that be the greatest day of your life or the worst day of your life? Those are your only two choices. It can either be the greatest day of your life or the absolute worst day of your life. But here's the problem or the promise, depending on how you look at it. When we make mistakes in our life, so far we've always had tomorrow to make those mistakes right. When you're in court, you can appeal the verdict. On Judgment Day, there'll be no appeal. There'll be no tomorrow to make things right. When you're guilty, or when you're not guilty, it'll be an eternal sentence. You see, God's reminding Israel of their guilt. To not take a moment and evaluate your life. Do you think you're going to be guilty? Or are you looking forward to that day because it will be the greatest day of your life? You see, as a Christian, that's a day that we should long for. I can't wait to spend eternity with my God in heaven. I hope you feel the same way. I hope Judgment Day is something that you're looking forward to. If we knew when it was coming, we'd, we'd be counting down the days. We'd be counting down the minutes. Anxiously looking forward to that day because heaven's going to be that wonderful. But the opposite's also true. And for some, it will be absolute misery for eternity. What's your verdict? If you have any doubts or any questions about your verdict, right now is the time to make those changes, to appeal your sentence. Because before we have our sins washed away with the blood of Christ through baptism, we're guilty. Once we have our sins washed away, we begin to have hope. And there's hope of a not guilty sentence. But we have to continue to be faithful. We have to continue to be what God wants us to be. We have to continue to be His children, to live according to His ways, according to everything that He's given us. There's going to be no question about what we will be judged by. We've been given everything that we need to know through God's Word, through Scripture. Don't take a chance on a guilty sentence when you know what the result of that will be. If you have any questions about what your sentence will be, make that change right now. Leave this building hoping that eternity begins tomorrow because you know where that eternity will be spent. If you have any doubts, if you have any concerns... Let us help you do away with those concerns so that tonight you sleep better than you slept in years 
because you know where your eternity will be should it happen tomorrow. If we can do anything to insist you, to encourage you, to support you, come right now while together we stand and while we sing.